I want to greet each one of you in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be here. And uh, it seems like we've been gone for a while. Um, it's been a busy past three weeks, four weeks, I guess. As most of you are aware, my grandmother passed away, I guess it's about three and a half weeks ago. And uh, right on his, right on her heels going, going up to the land of beauty and bliss, uh, we got a little gift uh, coming this way. And uh, our gift, Rodney Milton, and a lot of you have congratulated us and done very nice things for us, given us encouragement and word and food. Uh, want to thank you for that as a family. I was hoping for maybe a, a gym ticket yet. I need to get rid of some weight after all that good food. No, just, just kidding about that. Um, so you've been very kind to us, and we, we appreciate that. Um, it's been, well, I guess, one, one overriding thought on my mind here the last, last while. Um, and I wanted to bring it together and articulate it in a message. And I thought it would be pretty simple, actually. Um, and I found that, you know, maybe either I've had too many distractions over the last several weeks, or else uh, maybe there's been some lack of sleep or something else. But or maybe the subject is just bigger than I thought, and I think that's where it actually is. But that is the, the power of influence. <laughs> The power of, and that's what I'd like to talk about. I don't know that I, uh, this morning, I uh, actually moved into my message, was reviewing it and actually divided it. And so maybe this will be a, 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 at least a mini-series. Um, but on the, on the power of influence, and I, just as for the sake of a visual, Think with me a bit about the, the food pyramid. There's nothing sacred or holy about the food pyramid as you see at the FDA food pyramid. But it, it kind of divides, it, it gives divisions to what we intake for, for our physical needs, the foods we take in. And if you look at that first tier, the bottom, where you see the grains, and that's the larger portion of what we're supposed to take in for our health. The grains, the bread, the rice, cereals, so forth. And then on the second tier, you see the veggies and the fruits. It doesn't make, none of these are better than the other. It's just that it's the amount we are to take in that's healthy for us. And then on the third tier, we have the milk products, cheeses, so forth, and we have the meats. So we have our carbohydrates, we have our veggies, our vitamins, and so forth. We have the protein on the third tier. And then on the very pinnacle of it, you have these little dots. And that's your fats, oils, and so forth, nuts. And most of that is supposed to be um, taken in. It, out of these other groups. So they don't really put candy bars, snacks, and so forth, Coca-Cola, and so forth at the top. They so say most of those, you know, fats, oils, sugars, are supposed to be taken in 
via the grains, fruits, veggies. Um, so I just, I was just, I was looking at this and, and thinking of it as maybe possibly a, a bit of a word picture to uh, going into the going into the message. Um, so this morning, I guess I'm just going to ask you to think with me, and let's look at this subject of influence. I was. At my grandmother's funeral, I was talking with one of my uncles and uh, just feeling um, happy, uh, feeling grateful that I had a person like my grandmother in my life who um, so much affected um, the way I thought. Uh, She just, you know, and I was expressing to my uncle how that that you know, there's there's so many ways she her influence affected my life. Um, my mother was in, involved in a really bad car accident when I was about seven, and uh, she was in intensive care I think for six weeks. And so there was we lived close to my family lived close to where my grandparents lived, so we were back and forth a lot with grandpas. Us children were. And cared for them quite a bit. I don't remember how much, but there was, I know there's a lot of going and coming from grandpa's. And then later on, when I was about nine, uh, my younger brother and my sister, the twins we called them, Carl and Kayleen were born. My sister was born with cerebral palsy, which took up a lot of time for my parents. And they, there again, they were in the hospital for a long time. I think it was during this time that I, that I first that you know, Grandma Schrock and uh, I felt I see it as a very special part of my life would, you know, we did a lot of things together. We rake leaves. They had a home for, my grandparents had a home for handicapped children. We'd kind of help out uh, there. And uh, and then we also did, uh, we, she liked to fish. She really liked to trout fish. And so she, she and Grandpa would take us fishing, sometimes just her. Uh, my grandfather had some health issues at times, and she'd take me along, and it was over that time, maybe from the years of 9 to 15, 14, 15, we spent uh, uh, many of a spring and summer evening together at the lake, trout fishing, you know, and, and she, I was able to relate to her uh, very easily. And I'd tell her all my, you know, the, the things that I was big things that adolescents or face and teenagers face and and uh, she was a very practical plain spoken person she'd listen and and after I'd carefully laid out you know how it really was why she'd ask the questions that would make me think again and uh, she was just that sort of person very very practical and, and then also also very uh, very insightful and I, and I'm you know there again, I look back and I think of, you know, not just how much I know she affected, influenced my life, but how much I don't know I have to think about that she influenced my life. And, and then you take that into a larger circle and uh, about other people around you that surround, you know, that, that, that you're with and so forth, how much they influence your life. And I was talking to my uncle about this. You may know him, Gary Miller. 
he has a way of putting things into words. Um, and and he's, he likened it to this. You know, we're like a tiny drop in the ocean. Each person is. And uh, we're this one tiny little drop. And uh, the, the big, you know, ocean, um, you know, wherever we're at, it's where us as a drop is influenced by the other water moving through. Maybe the, you know, the algae or even mud or whatever. Um, you know, that little drop just can't stay uninfluenced. It takes, and some of you are chemists probably could explain or, or put this differently, but um, I do know, you know, like our pond, um, once a little bit of, once rain set, you know, it can change from a clear to a dirty very quickly. And, and that's, it's being influenced by the red mud. Uh, and, and in the same way he was ex- explaining how this, you know, these influences come in, we really don't know how much we're influenced. Uh, but we are so influenced by our surroundings, by our family, by our culture. And I was going to try, going to try to pull this all together, and I had some things on my mind. But the first thing that came to my mind was that the power of <clears throat> of Christ influence, and I just feel like this is what I want to cover first: is that the power of Christ influence in our lives, and give Him the glory He deserves. The, the sufficiency of Christ to each one of us that, you know, even maybe today you didn't have the kind of influences that you wished you would have had growing up. Maybe today um, you're thinking, you know, if only things could have been different then, uh, I could be a different person now. There's, there's certainly hope for, for you, and there's certainly hope for each one of us to, to uh, live beyond and much above the influences even that were surrounding us. Now, not saying that I'm going to be a better person than my grandmother, but I know that's what she would want for me. She would want me to be a better person than her. And I think... I think we all need to strive to be the best we can. These influences bring us to a certain point and we need to use them as a baseline. Take the good and move forward. So, I'd like to read a scripture out of John. John 6, 27 through, through 67. I'll read it rather quickly, but you would open your Bibles to the scripture here. First of all, we're, we as a people, as a Christian people, we're, we're in the world and not of the world. Keep that in mind. John 6.27 says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, for the food which endures to, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father set His seal on Him. So the disciples, they had seen this miracle of the, of the uh, loaves and fishes. Their boat had been transported suddenly from one side of the lake to the other. And Jesus is talking with them here before the crowd again gathered to the others to where they were at again. And um, 
he's, he's given some, them some instruction here. He said, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Actually, I think that some of the crowd had made it around by this time and had come across the lake on the boat. Um, and Jesus is talking to him, saying that, that you know, don't, don't work for the bread that, that perishes, but work for the eternal bread. And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then? that we may see it and believe you, what work will you do? And it's interesting here how they try to put him on the spot. And Jesus is greater than Moses. They said to him, Our fathers ate the man in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, Jesus has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat it and not die. Jesus speaking of himself. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Jesus here giving witness to the sacrifice, to his sacrifice, his enabling grace to us uh, to, to give us eternal life. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Remember Jesus talking to the woman at the well and telling her that. Uh, the water she gets from this well, she, uh, is, she'll, she can get it, but she'll get thirsty again. And how that the water he'll give her will 
take away her thirst, will sustain her eternally. And how that she wanted that. And now he's talking about the bread here and his flesh and his blood. And he, and he says, you know, this bread that, that uh, Moses gave you, your fathers ate it and they died. They, they perished eventually. But he who eats this bread, this bread that I'm going to give you, will live forever. You know, the manna was a gift of, of physical life. However, the manna fed only the flesh and it enabled them physically. He goes on to explain this. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of the disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. You can understand it. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Words of the Spirit, the spiritual food, Jesus is telling them ahead of time that the sacrifice that I'm doing for you is a way of, is a way of bringing about a sustenance that's going to be spiritual, that's going to be life-giving. I'll give my flesh for you. And in doing so, um, I'll open the door and avenue for you to have spiritual food that will bring you eternal life. It's my flesh. It's, it's um, my word, my spiritual food to you. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning that there were those who did not believe and who would betray Him. I think I'll stop there. I'd like to go to John 17.14 then. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world just as I am not of the world. So here Jesus is saying it's his high priestly prayer and he's saying these, these disciples they're, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. The world needs them. The world needs their influence, right? The world needs the gospel that they're going to give. They're, they're going to... Um, the, the, the good news they're going to tell to people in town and city and everywhere. It says, I'm, I'm not asking that you take them out, but I'm asking that you keep them from the evil one. He said they're in the world, but they're not of the world. But this morning, I'd like to think more about the influence we take in, more so than the influences that we give out. You know, we're, in, we're, we're really influenced by what's around us. I have to think of our forefathers. I was reading... Uh, here recently about some groups that have moved into Canada uh, from Russia. And uh, this group is still quite singular in the Canadian uh, culture. They have their own community. Um, they're somewhat like a Hutterite group, possibly. Um, but I think they were more, this group came, when I was reading about them, they were, came through to me more as a group that was more concerned about maintaining their culture, not losing their Russian heritage uh, than, than anything else. 
And it's, uh, you know, that's possible for a time, but uh, it's not very probable. With, as time goes on, as we intermingle, as we buy, as we are part of the marketplace selling goods, buying in good, uh, buying goods, um, as we're have our occupations, so forth, we tend to integrate more and more. The, the German tends to become, or the Russian, or the Spanish, tends to become more and more um, in the background. And in English, becomes more normal, more fluent than the mother tongue. And certainly the English language isn't evil, and it's, it's, it's needed. It's needed for wholesome communication. You know, I would consider language to be immoral. It's neither good nor bad. But like many other things in our lives, like money or technology, it's a useful tool for interacting with our fellow men. So what I'm saying here is we're going to be affected by our surrounding culture. There's, there's no doubt about it. And yet, Jesus is talking with the disciples here and he says, Father, I, I ask that you don't take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And I think we need to remember this as well. Are we being protected from the evil one? And to be protected from the evil one, we need communion with God. One greater than Moses was offering the Jews there, the disciples there, a, a gift that, uh, of communion with God. And communion with God equals life, equals eternal life. I'd like to look at the first tier here. Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. So that's the first tier. So this is the grain. Good, healthy, wholesome food. It nourishes, it sustains us. It's not highly processed or modified or corrupted. Um, but it's good grainy bread. It's wholesome. I think of whole wheat. Um, it's in our basic food group. And I think that Jesus should be that to us. It takes up a lot of space on that pyramid. It takes up that whole first tier. Jesus should be that to us, the bread of life. Um, his you know, presence should be part of everything, of our whole diet that we take in. Our basic spiritual sustaining influence. And then we go on to tier two. We have the veggies and we have the fruits. John 15, 5, Jesus says there, I'm the vine and ye are the branches. And when you think of that, that vine, you know you have the one main stem coming up and then you have branches going out. And then you have smaller twigs going off of that and the fruit hanging off of those twigs. It all goes back to that main stem though. You can have so many different branches going out and so many clusters out there of, of grapes. Uh, and you can have supports. 
But at some point, it all goes back to one point and that into the ground. And that's that one stem. I remember in, in Romania, we had a beautiful vine on the back of our house. We had a lot of vines there, actually. And uh, I don't consider myself a, a uh, great vine keeper. Uh, but we had some, pretty, some guys that were pretty good around us. And I, I enjoyed uh, our vine dresser. And I enjoyed watching them. And I, I did learn some things from them. One was this. It was in the middle of the summer, and we were we were doing need to do some remodeling on one wall where this vine was at, and uh, I just figured it was hot, it was dry. I figured there's no sense in even trying to keep this vine alive, you know, or transplanting it. It was just too. It was in the heat of the summer, and I, I knew, you know, just from seeing all that the grapes that these vines filled out, that they must draw a tremendous amount of water and moisture. And my next door neighbor came and he saw that we're getting ready to pull this thing up and he said, I, I want that vine. I said, what are you going to do with it? You know, how, how are you going to keep that vine alive? What's good is it going to do you? He said, oh, I'll keep it alive. I said, well, have at it. This vine's that big around. I mean, it's a big, heavy vine. I said, well, have at it. If you want it, go ahead. <clears throat> So he cut that thing off right at the base, just, just right above the ground. I'm thinking like, well, that's the last of that vine. And uh, he pulled it up, tried to get as good of a root ball as he could, you know, and all these, these uh, roots are going out in different directions, big roots, and he's chopping them off. And, and you know, the more I see this all cut up, I'm like, that, that vine's not going anywhere. Middle of the summer, he took it over to his house. He planted it. A year later, I was at his place and I noticed a nice vine. It had a branch going up. It wasn't fully developed yet. And uh, I said, uh, uh, can't remember his name, Danielle. I said, Danielle, Don, is that, is that the vine that you took from our house? He said, yeah. He said, there it is. He said, next year it'll be bearing fruit. And it, it would. I mean, it took off. You know, he knew what he was doing with it, but... All that fruit, everything that came, for, had come off of that vine earlier, came from that, you know, that root ball there, and and the, the roots and the roots going out, you know. And Jesus is that to us. He's that to the church. Uh, it all goes back to Him. No matter how big the vine is, how far it's spread out, how many, you know, how many tears it has. Uh, you know, some of these um, vineyards will will rate will run two lines and run them on out. No matter how, how long that vine is, how much grape, grape, how many grapes it produces, it all comes back to, to that root ball. And that's, that's Christ. I see that as Christ nourishing and feeding the church, the church nourishing, feeding each other, going out and making fruit that nourishes further on. But that's Christ's influence in our lives. He's all sufficient to us. He influences us, and that's the way it should be. If that doesn't happen, then we have what's going on, like we studied in our Sunday school lesson this morning. We have a people that becomes rebellious, a people that doesn't understand, a people that's not really, that aren't genetically uh, compatible anymore <clears throat> with, with the program of Christ and His kingdom. I'm the bread the grain. 
I am the vine. I produce all that, I, that you need. And if you stay in me, you'll bear much fruit. But without me, you can't do anything, at least anything that amounts to eternal riches and, and, and uh, usefulness. And then we have the tier three. We have the milk, the meat, the poultry, the fish, the beans, the eggs, and the nuts. So, you know, you get in tier three, you have, so you, tier one goes straight across. Tier two has a division in it, and it has the veggies and one side of the fruit and the other. And then you get into tier three, and it has the milk products, and then you have the meat on the other side and nuts and so forth. And here I see our source of protein, uh, energy, natural oils. And again, John 6.54 says, Jesus is speaking here, he says, Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. I see this as digging deeply into the Word. Deeply digging into the Word. Eating of Christ. Um, you know, being so spiritually nourished by the Word that it actually changes who we are. It makes a difference. It starts influencing the way we think. First of all, we have communion with God instead of communion with the evil one. And hopefully, you know, we're not there having any active communion with the evil one, but our selfish nature is being changed into a, a, a nature that communes with Christ and understands Him. Uh, the world is blinded, I think, not so much because um, they have something over their eyes, their spiritual eyes, um, but they're blinded because they don't have, somehow don't have the, the ability to see beyond uh, this, this present sphere. They can't see the greater things that God has for them. And it blinds, it affects the vision. Just like it affected those Jewish leaders' vision. They just, they just couldn't see that life was much greater than the sum of, their, of themselves. Uh, God had something much bigger for them. And they would have been so blessed, so incredibly blessed if they would have just turned to Christ, accepted Him as Messiah, and, and, and embraced Him their eyes would have been open, and uh, they could have forgotten about trying to somehow hoard um, the sum of themselves together, and they could have gone on to to um, a communion with God and to to spreading the gospel, the good news. Um, their lives just would have been so incredibly more blessed than it was the way they they kept it. You know, they I think they probably went to their graves bitter angry and uh, unfulfilled because you know they were too selfish they were too blinded to, to, to embrace the bread and the flesh of Christ <clears throat> they didn't take in the vegetables they shriveled up they didn't take in the meat they didn't they, they didn't uh, feast on the on the good things that 
God offered them. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And then we have the tier four. We have the oils, the nuts, sugars, and so forth. And I thought, you know, maybe we didn't even need a tier four on the pyramid because we get them all on tier one, two, and three. And maybe we don't need a tier four. But, in, um, but I, think we, I think we have a tier four. And, I, and uh, I'd like to share that with you. Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, they were upset. Jesus was telling them he's going to leave <clears throat> and he's not going to come back. He's going to go to a different place and they won't be able to find him. He's going to be gone. You know, they'd been following him for actively for three years in his ministry here. And how much longer, I don't know. They'd given up things. They had put, they had put uh, the rest of their life to the side for Christ. And uh, I'm sure that to them this is pretty upsetting. You know, they they'd probably thought they would just follow Christ on to the development of his ministry and of his kingdom. And, and they were going to be, you know, on his right hand and left, like we even heard. And, you know, that it's going to be a great life for them. They've, they've bought into Christ. And it's, it's uh, you know, wherever he goes, whatever he does, they're going to be part of it. And they, they saw great things ahead. And Jesus is saying, Jesus told them here, you know, that's not going to happen here. I'm leaving and you won't be able to find me. And then he tells them this. He gives them the promise. John 14, 16. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I'm sure the disciples thought, you know, what a trade. Um, how can this be a good trade? I mean, we're getting the short end of the stick here. Jesus is leaving. He's promising us another comfort that will come live in us. But you know how we are. We like to see people. We like to be able to touch and to see the expression and to share and so forth. And Jesus said, I'm leaving. But, you know, I can imagine for them it seemed kind of like a vague promise. But this, but he tells him, I will give you the comforter. Well, it wasn't a vague promise. It was a very real promise and very true promise. And it comes to us today too. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Here again, there's a blindness there in the world because they don't see him, the spirit of truth. They don't know him. But he says, you know him, you as disciples, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer and the world will see me no more. Jesus will leave, he's saying. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. Now, as I was thinking of this, I don't. This is a, a kind of a special story of myself, of my, myself, yes. And I'm sure. And as I share this, I don't feel like I'm real special in any way. Um, I'm sure you all have your own stories. 
But this was a this was a, a, a story I'd like to share with you is is a time where I felt like you know would come into the top of that pyramid. It was just like a little bit of the cherry on the top, or you know something really special that God had sent my way for my benefit, particularly for me. I don't think that we should expect that to be a big part of our intake of our diet, but I think that God does do that. There are times God gives us something pretty special, pretty sweet, uh, that we should thank Him for, be grateful for. And I, I think that uh, you all be able to relate uh, yourselves and your, you would have your own stories. There was a different, we had a, we went through a kind of a difficult time in our life when we were in Romania. And uh, we were, at, we were uh, it was in our third year there. We're getting ready to go into our fourth year. We were at home into Missouri for a uh, <clears throat> three-week furlough. And we had worked hard to get the little orphanage going over there. It was thriving on one side. It was thriving on the side that really mattered to us. There were babies coming being fed. Uh, we we're helping them to find homes. Our orphanage was filled and overflowing a lot of times, as many as 17. We had good help. <clears throat> we had a good relationship with the state and with the local, and with the local authorities. Um, things were going well on one end. However, we ourselves and our sponsoring organization had a little, had a little uh, different issue going on. That was regarding funds. Um, the economy had changed. The Twin Towers had come down uh, several months prior. The Euro had went into effect, and suddenly the dollar wasn't buying what it used to buy. Um, the dollar compared to the Euro was... was uh, had devaluated quite a bit. And so well, the money being sent over wasn't, wasn't reaching around like it had. And we were, the, but the orphanage was thriving. Well, you know, thriving orphanages, orphanage takes a good deal of funds. And it was a good deal more funds than what anyone had really anticipated. Not only that, but uh, a lot of our sponsoring um, people were involved with construction, that sort of thing, and, and, and uh, with the economy slowing down, um, that, that had its effect as well. And there were some natural differences uh, between members of our mission board as to the merit of, merit of the orphanage and you know how hard they should work to try to keep it sustained. We, Elise and I, felt ourselves caught in the in a crossfire. You know, we had made commitments in Romania based on directives made to us. We had worked very hard to show ourselves competent and to demonstrate good faith to the Romanian authorities. We had prayed. We had shed tears with our staff, um, and we had seen God work in in opening doors. 
And so it seemed like there's a lot of, lot of effort, a lot of, lot of uh, investment on the line. We, uh, our furlough came during the fall hunting season. The guys in our family decided to go to the National Forest and camp out on a hunting trip. And this was a good tonic for me. Uh, sometime in the woods is always a good hunt tonic for me. And to be there with friends, uh, family and friends who I love dearly, that was good. But interestingly enough, I didn't feel completely free to share, you know, what was going on in my life, the, the burden that we felt at that time. It felt kind of singular to me. So I took it to the woods. That burden, you know, of wondering how we're going to navigate through this and what's going to happen and, you know, how it just couldn't be and how some people were misunderstanding and so forth, all things that come together when you're in the middle of a tough situation. And in the midst of those hardwoods, I laid out all my concerns to my Heavenly Father. I rehashed everything as I'd already done multiple times. And, you know, I wondered what God's will was. And I could hardly believe that He would be open to shutting down the orphanage after you know, He had miraculously worked on our behalf to open it. I just couldn't believe that this could be happening. And at the core, I really wondered if God was, you know, hearing me, if He was hearing us. Was He understanding our situation? You know, I felt like He'd accept anything that came along if I only knew that, that God knew. And uh, on the second day of this hunt, <clears throat> these thoughts were still moving through my mind. I was still wondering, is God really seeing Still uncertain. And still no deer. And it's not that I'm a great trophy hunter or even a great meat gatherer. You know, I might be a moderate meat gatherer on a good year, but uh, certainly not a great trophy hunter. However, for some reason, early in that afternoon of that second day, and that was on a Saturday, so we'd be going home again that evening for the weekend, the thought came to my mind, you know, wouldn't it be neat if of God, if He, you know, seeing my perplexity would just, would just send a nice buck my way to show me He's looking out for me. Now you're thinking, this is awful trivial, but you know, this happened to me, so what shall I say? What do we need if He just sent a nice buck my way just to show me He's looking out for me? Just to show me, you know, He's... I didn't really have it all <clears throat> pulled together what it would mean, but it's just like, you know, just came to my mind there. And uh, so guess what I did? Of course, I capitalized on that thought. And I prayed, you know, that even though I was certainly undeserving of a nice buck, that, you know, I would appreciate it and I would, and I would see it as, as some kind of confirmation that, of God's oversight in my life. And it's interesting because uh, I prayed that prayer and then some things came up. There were some disturbances in the woods that certainly wouldn't have been conducive to a nice buck coming my way the rest of the afternoon. I actually moved quite a ways. The, the, the woods was really noisy and the, the leaves were really crisp and so forth. I only had about an hour and a half of sunlight left. 
by the time I set up again. And uh, so it's about 4.40 in the afternoon. And about the time you know, I'd given up hope of seeing a deer, it's getting pretty dusk. And then the big buck came. And uh, I, I think I also prayed that, you know, if the big buck didn't come, I'd continue to trust in him. I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, but anyways, the big buck did came, and it was a clean kill. I won't go into the details, but it was a clean kill. It was a nice big buck for me. Uh, but more than that, a nice buck. It was, it, it really hit me. This is a sense of unmistakable confirmation. You know, it's not the first time I prayed for game, or else I would be a trophy hunter. Uh, and it wasn't the last time where I'd still be probably be a trophy hunter. But God's never done that again. You know, I've never seen that again. It was like he it was a singular circumstance. He saw that this would be meaningful to me. And uh, he sent something um, pretty special my way. You know, that grin that, that I had on my face um, went far deeper than the pride in those antlers on that buck. It went much deeper than that. And, um, you know, I'm sharing this because I think that we need to understand that while God is in heaven and we're on this earth, that He does care about us. <clears throat> and He does see us in time of need. And He does sometimes work out some very practical ways of communicating with us, confirming Himself to us. Um, and I'm not at all promoting that you should go out and pray for big bucks or pray for trophies for whatever that may be. But I am saying, be in communication with God. His comforter is with us. Sometimes He gives us peace that passes understanding. Sometimes He reaches out to us and gives us confirmations in different ways. Um, maybe just like what I talked about here. And God did work in the, uh, with the work we were in. He did supply. Um, and, you know, I think it also was a, a point of me realizing that, of letting me know that uh, He's greater than, than everything that's going on, and I don't need to carry this burden on my own. And um, we need that. We need that uh, reminder. We need to understand that God is greater. We can't, these burdens that come our way, um, we can't. God doesn't expect us to carry them by ourselves. He expects us to bring them to Him, and He also expects us to, to um, let others help carry the burden. And also help, expects us to help others carry the burden as well. He says He'll give us this comforter. He's comfortably with us. And so, yeah, just like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize there's overtime here. I'd just like to quickly wrap this up. The influences of Christ in our lives that is the um, that is definitely the greatest influence the most wonderful influence and you know as we talk about influences maybe here in the future i don't want to forget that that is the influence that really that we need to give christ the honor for and that can um, that should be changing every part of our life and, and growing us god bless you